You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. It's always great to have you here if you don't like that with Grant Napier, my guest in just a moment. But first, I want to tell you that today's podcast is brought to you by New Works Plumbing of Sacramento. For your plumbing needs and repairs, remember New Works has a fix for you, and they're available around the clock 24-7 for your plumbing issues. Just go to newworksplumbing.com. That's N-E-W-W-R-X plumbing.com. And remember, they are available around the clock. Newworksplumbing.com for your plumbing needs and plumbing repairs. I don't really need an introduction from my next guest. If you don't know who Scott Pollard is, well, where the hell have you been? And uh, he has certainly been on this podcast in the past. Always love speaking to him, but I probably am as excited as I've ever been to introduce Scott to the podcast in this month of December because uh, he has had quite a uh, very nerve-wracking experience as it relates to his health and his heart. So we'll talk about that right now with Big Boy, number 31, but number one in your heart, Scott Pollard. How are you there, big boy? Swati Cup. Oh, Swati Cup. Uh, <laughs> hey, man. It's, it, thanks. What an intro. Thanks for having me back on the show, man. I'm very excited to be here. I know you are very excited to be here. You know, I, I guess your medical condition in, in medical terms, I wouldn't understand it. But in layman terms, can you just kind of explain to everyone what you have been through and where you're at today as it relates to your heart? Um, first of all, let me, let me make sure that everybody is aware that I am not one of those people that's going to tell you what to do with your body. Uh, I am not a doctor and I'm not giving out anybody's medical advice. I am simply relaying what happens to me. So I don't get flu shots because the last time I got a flu shot was in 1999. I got a physical when I got traded from the Detroit Pistons to the Atlanta Hawks. I got a flu shot. And I got so sick, the Atlanta Hawks cut me. <laughs> wow, that's pretty sick. So, yeah. So I stopped. I, I stopped getting flu shots. Uh, my natural immunity obviously worked for many years, and this last year, my uh, cardiologist. I have a, I have underlying health issues in my family with heart. So my cardiologist, because of I get checked every year and everything was fine in January of twenty one. Uh, he said, you know what, you got to get the flu shot. Just do it. Um, this year is, is just, you got to do it. So I did it, and I got a virus that attacked my heart. And it caused me to have uh, they, what they call PVCs, 
and they I, I was having about 10,000 extra beats a day. Wow. So that made me really tired. It felt like I was running up a hill all day, every day. There were days I couldn't leave the house. And then uh, in June, I had a an ablation scheduled. And so this is basically, uh, it's a short circuit. Uh, there's a part of my heart that was starting to, to short circuit and causing all these extra beats. And they, they're pretty sure it was the virus that either caused it by itself or unlocked something that's genetically coded in my body, kind of like some of my siblings and my father, because we do have heart issues in our family. So the ablation is an electrical, uh, they put wires up through your groin and they go into your heart and they zap the, the short circuit to kill a part of your heart that's causing the short circuit and stops the extra beats. Well, I had that scheduled for June and same thing. My cardiologist was like, Hey man, if you get COVID cause you're in heart failure. And I was, I still am technically in heart failure. Uh, they're like, if you get the COVID, you're going to die. So you need to get the vaccine. Well, I got the vaccine and it almost killed me. Um, four days after my second shot, I could not get up off the couch. Uh, I told my cardiologist he sent, he wanted to send an ambulance for me, but I drove up to the hospital in Chicago. Wow. They put me on IV steroids for five days. I was in the hospital. The myocarditis uh, is what happened to me. And if, if you do a little research, it's a very small percentage of the population. And they said, I'm too old. I don't fit into the category. It's happening to young men up into their mid thirties, maybe. And I'm, I'm above that. Uh, and they were like, no, you're not going to get the myocarditis. Well, I did. And so uh, I spent five days in the hospital, and some people are like, oh, it was just mild myocarditis. There's no such thing as mild myocarditis. It's inflammation of the heart. That's a serious condition, and I almost died. Wow. That is 100% fact. Whatever the cause, whatever you believe in, that's fine. I don't care. But the fact is, if I wasn't on IV steroids for five days, if I hadn't gone to the hospital, I may not be here. So whatever the, whatever the cause of the original PVCs, the, you know, if it's not the flu shot, fine. I don't care what you think. I'm just saying this is what my experience was. Uh, and so I, I had to postpone the ablation. Then I finally got one in September. That didn't work. It actually made it worse. Mm. And then I had to wait and heal got another one on November 3rd and that one worked. So sorry about the long story about my medical year, but this year sucked for me health wise. I hardly worked. Uh, I had a lot of other stressors in my personal life. Uh, it was, it was, it was I, I'll, I'll take 19 mm. dealing with my wife and cancer and her beating cancer, uh, yes. over what she's had to deal with, with me this year. Well, uh, just, just being on my couch for most of this year. I'm not a doctor, and I don't know if this is the issue, but when I'm around your wife, my heart rate goes way up, too, by about 10,000 beats a day. So I don't know if that was anything to do with it. <laughs> I, I mean, it's, it, let's just blame her. Because... <laughs> hey, you know, for people listening that don't know, you're probably one of the few human beings on the earth that after a story like that, I could make light of your situation and, and yeah. you would laugh. You know what I mean? But that's the type yeah. of relationship we have, you know? Exactly, and, and, and I'm here, so it's, yeah. it's much funnier because I'm here. Yeah, what, but no, everything's looking good yep. and, and moving forward. But and, and you know, my wife is is an incredible human being. She, as I said, she's beat cancer. Yep. Uh, she does raise raise heart rates. 
uh, wherever <laughs> she goes. Uh, she's she's uh, one of the most beautiful people in the whole world uh, inside, and her exterior happens to match. There's so, no uh, question. She's, she's yeah. an incredible human being. I'm lucky to have her in my life and, and be a part of hers. You know, you mentioned about your family history. Uh, you lost your dad. Uh, at, he uh, passed at a young age. Actually, did you not tell me at one time that there has not been a male figure in the Pollard family that has lived over 55? Was that is that accurate? Well, not not exactly. My my dad's dad lived to be 84. Um, he was not as big as as the rest of some of the the Pollard, but he was six five, which in his era was. Monstrous. Yep. yep. Um, my dad was 54. My mom's dad was 49. And so it's, that's the problem is it's kind of both sides of the family. Not kind of. It is. Sure. But, you know, my mom is, uh, her mom was 80 or 81 or 83. My mom is 83. Um, you know, so it's the men in my family don't tend to live very long. Uh, but, but you just never know. And, you know, truth be told, I've been talking to my cardiologist a lot this year, obviously. And we really think that if my dad happened to be here now and had the same issues, he'd still be here mm. because the medication that I've been taking all of this year, the drugs that I've been on, the procedures that I've had done didn't exist in 1991. And at least it, it, if the procedure existed, it wasn't nearly as successful sure. or easy to do in 1991 when my dad died. So, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of things to, to be thankful for in 2021. And one of them is technology and, and the drugs that work. Now, I hate them, and I can't wait to get off of them. I'm not there yet. Uh, I'm still on them, and I'm, I'm about ready for a checkup here in the next week or two um, to see if I can start weeding off some of the more uh, intense drugs that I've been on. Uh, but they kept me alive in the meantime. That's amazing. Uh, and so I, I have to give credit to the doctors and, and the technology, all the people that have created these, these amazing medications that, you know, they might have shortened my lifespan ultimately, <laughs> yeah. But but they but they kept me alive now, so the technology could work uh, and, and keep me alive for for now and in the future. You know, they're working on pig heart transplants, and I'm I'm looking for an 800 pound board counter. <laughs> uh, I'll take the heart, and then we'll just have a big ass luau. We'll eat the rest. You know, like we're not going to let anything go to waste because oh, I'm not God. that guy. You're unbelievable. You know, <laughs> with your situation, I mean, can can your cardiologist give you a vote of, I don't want to say confidence with your life, but are, could you live a full lifespan with your condition? I mean, has this procedure in your mind or in the cardiologist's mind, and I know you said you're going for a checkup here in a week, but could that have taken care of the issue at hand where you could live a full life? This part is going to go for a little, not a little, a while longer. Um, But there's going to come a day where this heart will no longer work for my 300 pound body. Wow. And whether that's after the rest of my body gives out, no one really knows, but the, the percentages of based on what I've had done and what, the future looks like, yeah, I'm going to need a transplant at oh, some wow. point because there's just no hearts available. I mean, you know, if I, it, not to be morbid, but let's say a, a 250 pound NBA player dies, maybe I would be able to get their heart. Uh, but, you know, a, a, 
a person that has a 300 pound body, most of them are worse off. Their heart is worse off than mine, right? Like so. Yeah, that's a, a great point. Yeah. A transplant from a human is is a, is a slim to zero uh, wow. uh, factor for me uh, because their their heart is going to be worse than mine. Uh, so. But we don't think about it like that. You know, you ask the questions, so I give the answer. I mean, medically, I'm fine right now, uh, but there are there are issues that I'm going to have for the rest of my life. And at some point, because of those PVCs, like the, it's kind of a fact. It's not exactly a fact, but but most of all humans have a certain number of beats. Mm-hmm. So your heart's only going to beat a certain number of times. And I know that sounds weird, but, but the truth is there's a number that most of us get to, and there's an average like most of us get to. It's not just lifespan, it's beat. Wow. Well, I beat 10,000 extra ones for about nine months this year. Holy so smokes. So for, for me to try to think that I, that didn't shorten my lifespan a little bit, um, you know, <laughs> you don't think about it every day, but at the same time, you know, yeah. you, you run a race car in the red, all the time or, or your regular car yeah. at 7,000 RPMs, that engine is going to give out faster than if you're gentle on it, wow. right? And you keep it in the three to 4,000 range. So it, it's just common sense kind of sure. like, you know, equating, uh, did, did you floor it and did you live your life terribly? Did you smoke and drink and do drugs all day, every day? Or did you live a nice life and have, uh, you know, good exercise, good diet, and uh, to do everything to make your, your parts uh, of your body last longer again i'm not giving sure. any financial advice or, or i'm sorry financial health advice uh, i'm not giving anybody you know telling anybody that i'm i'm gonna die this year uh but there's certain things that were outside of my control that, that probably shortened my lifespan this year uh and so the good news is i've got friends that are in that business i've got friends that are that are in actually the pig to human transplant business uh, they're working on it. They're doing lung transplants for, for kids. They're doing kidneys for kids uh, because there's never enough donors for kids. Organ donors, there's just never enough of them for kids because kids don't die. You know, so when when a, when a kid does need a, a transplant, there's very few organs available because adults sure. don't fit. They're, they're, adult donors don't fit into kids. And, I understand. And so um, that's why they're working with pigs. They're, they're the best for uh, compatibility. Uh, I just read a long article that my cardiologist sent me about another heart uh, surgeon that has had, um, he's had a heart donate, uh, a part of his heart, I think it was a valve, donated from a pig. Uh, and uh, that kind of did what it needed to do, but then he also needed a pig kidney and he's got a pig kidney and he's back at work and he's How about that? on people. Wow. So the technology is getting closer yep. for a whole heart transplant. Uh, and I don't want to be the first one, but if it means that I'm, I'm alive, sure. you know, there's people out there that have called me a pig my whole life. So I don't care. <laughs> you know, yeah. I think I'll be compatible. I yeah. probably won't even need the medication. <laughs> hey, just so you know, while I'm listening to all of this, I just want to let you know, you have my permission. If you want to walk outside, you know, turn on the fire pit and have a drink and a cigar for the rest of this interview, you have my permission. Okay. 
<laughs> you know what? I would, but it's 12 degrees outside. I'm not going out. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, and, and seriously, though, to hear your stories and your prognosis, to be where you are now, you know, uh, we all pray for you and what you've had to endure. And I never really thought about being that big and you have to be compatible with another human to get a heart and what lies ahead for you. So uh, as they say, enjoy every single day, right? Right. You know, and I, I, again, I don't, I don't think about the, the end or think about what's, what's happening. Sometimes, uh, you know, my wife goes, Hey, stop talking about that because you're going to be fine. And, and that's true. Right. I am going to be fine because I'm just living life until I'm not living life anymore. And mm. so, uh, you know, we, we, uh, make choices every day. Sometimes I have a cigar, sometimes I have a drink, uh, but I don't overdo either one. Uh, just like I don't go to McDonald's every day and eat garbage fast food every day. You right. know, we try to eat healthy and, and, and that's what everybody should do. Right. That's not just sure. me. That's everybody. Uh, so, you know, um, I, I, I just, it, there, there's a, a lot of ways you could say it, but yeah, the bottom line is what you said, just live, live your life, live every day. Uh, because, you know, worrying about the inevitable, uh, we're all going to die. Sure. And you don't get to choose when. So uh, let's, let's, you know, not, not in a nihilistic kind of way, but you got to live. You got to make your choices and do you uh, and do what makes you happy uh, without hurting anybody else. And, and I think that's, a, that's the advice I would give anybody is uh, do what makes you happy, but don't hurt anybody else. Love that. Absolutely love that. Let's make the transition now on to uh, the sport of basketball. Not seeing Roy Williams on the sideline is, is really odd. You played for Roy at Kansas. What was it like playing for him? You know, he was every bit of, of exactly who I needed to play college basketball for. And I was so fortunate that I got recruited by a lot of people. Uh, almost everybody offered me a scholarship that, that more, more people than I wanted to, to even consider offered me a scholarship. I was the 33rd ranked player in the country coming out of high school. Um, so, you know, I had my pick of whoever I wanted to go. And having been the youngest of six play, six college athletes, uh, my sister is the only one that decided not to play. She would have needed surgery on her feet to continue playing. And she just decided she didn't want to play that basketball and volleyball that badly anymore. Um, but all four of my brothers played Division One basketball and, and went through the recruiting process, and that helped me. That helped me understand a lot more about what I wanted out of college. And Roy never promised me a starting job. He never promised me a certain number of minutes. Other coaches did, and I was able to see through that garbage because of what my siblings had been through with their college experience. So when, when I was picking a college, I picked the coach. I didn't know where Kansas was really. I was from San Diego. I grew up, I was born in Utah and I grew up in San Diego. I didn't want to go all the way, even as far east as Kansas. I was thinking maybe as far as Arizona hmm. because I loved being in San Diego. But I knew in my heart at 16, my dad had passed away and I was getting recruited pretty heavily again by everybody. And I just started thinking, you know what? I need to be with a program that the coach is going to be there the whole time. The guy I sign with is going to be there the whole time. And that whether I play every minute of every game or no minutes of any game, I'm going to respect the decisions that he makes. And that was Roy Williams. And so uh, I was right. I, I was absolutely right. Uh, and, and I'm very fortunate that I made the correct choice for me. Uh, I went to Kansas and I went there because of Roy. And I made him promise me he was not going to leave for North Carolina during my time there. Hmm. And I kind of started a trend. I didn't realize that, but other players heard that I had made him promise. 
And I guess I started a trend, and Nick Collison and Kirk Heinrich were the last ones that he promised he would not leave during their time at Kansas. How about that? And so uh, that that became a thing that everybody that committed to Roy was like, okay, during my time, I pro- you got to promise me. And he kept his word. That's great. Uh, to my knowledge. Uh, but he, he was the father figure. Uh, he, he was a guy that, that I needed again in my life because my dad was gone. Uh, his discipline, uh, his, his intensity, uh, his caring about our personal lives and our grades and being able to deal with the media. I mean, we did all kinds of training outside of basketball that helped prepare us to be men. And again, I needed all of that. I needed every bit of it to, to help me. Uh, deal with the rigors of being a college athlete, and then it helped prepare me in the end for the NBA as well. And I didn't realize it at the time, but so many of the lessons I learned from Roy Williams helped prepare me for life in general. Uh, and I'm so appreciative to have, have made that right choice and, and gone to play for Roy Williams because had I not, you know, I might have had a longer career. I might have had a, le- a shorter career. Uh, but I wouldn't be the man I am today had I not played for Rollers. I love that. You played for a number of teams in the NBA, and just about every team that you were on was good. I know you're going to say it's because you were on it, but the reality <laughs> is you really had a heck of a career. And the reason why I bring this up is because you have played for so many different franchises and they were all good, I've been extremely critical of the Kings and Vivek Ranadive because I think the structure, I, I do believe that everything starts at the top. And I believe if, if at the top is not being done right, it filters down. Do you, do you believe in that concept too, or do you think I'm being overly critical? No, I, I believe in that 100%. Um, you know, the, the professional teams, I'll, I'll leave the college and the high school out of it because they were all playoff teams as well that I was on. I was just lucky to always be on great teams. But my rookie year uh, in Detroit was the only team I was on in my whole life uh, in however many years I played basketball that didn't play in the postseason. And so um, I, I do have a lot of experience of seeing what works and, and, and seeing how organizations that are, that are successful – uh, brand themselves and, and make themselves successful. And, and even in Detroit, they had a winning uh, way of, of doing things. I mean, they were kind of riding when I was there, it was the mid nineties and they were still riding off the bad boy era, which did not exist. But Roy, uh, sorry, Rick Mahorn and, and Joe Dumars were on that team. I was on uh, with Grant Hill and all them. And we almost made the playoffs, but Bill Davidson, the owner at the time, he was a guy and he, he yes, he was older, but, at the same time, he, he did the basketball he, – he hired the basketball people and he let them do their thing. And then when I was uh, Sacramento King, the, the Maloofs had just bought the team and they were like, hey, we just want to own the team. They hired a great team of basketball minds and they let them do their thing. You need us to write you a check, we'll write you a check. Let's go. Let's win some games. Uh, and then – and especially in small markets like Sacramento, like Indiana, when I got here, the, the, the signings are under fire right now. And it's not because they're bad owners or they're intrusive, but it's because they do a little different than a lot of small market teams, whereas they always try to make their team competitive. They never sell out and, and, and uh, tank so they can get a high draft pick. They always try to make the team competitive. Well, they're very good at being mediocre. Right. And in a small market, you know what? They're profitable. So, so from their perspective, the, the Simons have always been a profitable uh, franchise for, for the Pacers. Uh, they make money, uh, which is difficult in a small market because if you're going to spend money like the Maloofs didn't make money, 
for a couple of years there. They were losing money because they spent money on the contracts to get everybody there from the staff on down to the players. And so they weren't making money. They weren't profitable, but they were winning a ton of games. And then they become profitable because of that. And the, the, the Simons have never done that. The Simons have always been like, Hey, we're going to just be competitive. We're not going to sell out tank to try to get that number one or top five draft pick. Uh, and so they always either just miss the playoffs or they get in and they get bounced in the first round because they've got no superstars. They've got all-stars occasionally, but they never have any super superstars. Uh, Paul George, I guess, would be the most recent that was a, that was a bona fide superstar. But was he really? Has he ever dragged any team to the NBA Finals without another player being the better player uh, or the more uh, involved superstar? No, he hasn't. And so, you know, I, I think I, you and I agree that – there's probably five to seven actual superstars in the NBA. Correct. And everybody else is just a role player. Yep. There's not there's not 40 superstars. There's five to seven. And everybody else needs to be a role player, and they just don't understand it. And some players' careers end quick, more quickly than others because they never get that through their head that you are a role player. I don't care if you're an all-star. You're still a role player. Scottie Pippen was a role player. Yep. Don't give me that, that he carried a team to the NBA Finals with, with nobody else. He never did. You know, Charles Barkley was a superstar because that guy dragged team after team that didn't have enough talent to get there to the playoffs. So um, the, the franchise I played for, then Cleveland, same thing. Dan Gilbert was a new owner and blew a bunch of money, and we got to the NBA Finals. <laughs> and then, you know, the Boston Celtics, one of the, one of the storied franchises in the NBA, uh, they didn't have to blow money, but they did to get – Kevin Garnett and Ray Allen and, and Big Three, and they did the super team thing. So uh, I guess what I'm getting at is it comes down to are the owners willing to blow up some money once in a while to get the talent on their roster that is that features an actual superstar, maybe two if you can afford it, but usually it's just one and an, another bona fide all-star, yep. and then you've got to have role players that are going to buy into that, and you've got to get the front office and the coach – be on the same page. They have to both be able to make roster input for the roster decision. Because if the head coach doesn't have any decision making, then you're going to just keep burning through coaches like like who? The Kings. Kings keep burning through coaches like that's going to fix it. And it's not. It's not going to fix it. And you can burn through the general managers too, which is happening. And that's not fixing it either, is it? So, you know, it comes down to the proof is in the pudding. Is the owner going to hire people and leave them do, to do what they do best? They didn't become millionaires in the dot-com uh, era. They didn't become billionaires because they invented something. They're basketball people. So let them do the basketball stuff that you don't know anything about. You become a billionaire or a multi-multi-millionaire uh, because of what you did that had nothing to do with basketball that gave you the ability to buy a basketball franchise. Then you need to trust the fact that there's other people that have put those 10,000 hours in to becoming basketball geniuses and let them do the basketball stuff. And that's what the best owners do. Cuban is intrusive, but I think that anybody that works for him understands that he's intrusive to the point that he wants them to win. He just wants to be involved. But ultimately, I believe, from the outside looking in, he trusts his basketball people to do the basketball stuff. He has input because he's been spending all the money, but he's had success. So, you know, you can't argue when, when an owner is intrusive, like, say, Mark Cuban, but he also hires basketball people and he spends money consistently. Yep. You can't not spend money in the NBA or any professional sports franchise and be successful. It just doesn't work that way. 
Even the San Antonio Spurs had to spend money, and they just got lucky, which is every every small market team has to do. Every small market team has to get lucky with a high draft pick. Mm-hmm. You know, they got a Tim Duncan, and yeah, he's a once in a generation talent. I get that, but you have to get lucky with a Giannis Antetokounmpo. You know, like sure. the Milwaukee Bucks. That's a small market team, and then that player has to want to stay there, which is hard. It's hard for a player. Even even the Greek freak is talking about. He might be moving on. Now that he's given him a championship, he's done what he promised he would do. I'm staying until I win a championship. Now he probably wants to go to L.A. or New York or whatever, to a bigger market, make more money off the court and become a celebrity or whatever, uh, because it's hard to, to, to keep those type of talent, uh, talented players in, in a small market like Milwaukee, Indiana, Sacramento, uh, et cetera, et cetera, San Antonio. Sure. So, you know, the, the formula to me seems pretty simple. Uh, but but it's not always it, even then it's not going to work. The Spurs haven't been very good since Tim Duncan's gone, uh, and so uh, you, you got to factor in that they've got to get lucky again. And they got a Kawhi Leonard, and all of a sudden he bounced. You know, they they get uh, another player and he bounces. So it, it is hard to keep those talent 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 players there. But at the same time, what, we know what won't work, and what won't work is an owner that doesn't know anything about basketball intruding on basketball people making decisions for them uh, and telling them how to make basketball decisions. And, and clearly it's not working. Scott, do you watch much NBA basketball right now? And are you bothered or a better way to say that? Are you turned off by the way the game is played now? It's primarily a three point shooting contest. I mean, the way you played that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. I mean, uh, two, two answers to that question. One is no, I don't watch much NBA basketball because of that because of the style of play. Um, to me, it's more like when I was younger and probably in the NBA, when they had those MGD, like, rocking jock basketball games where they had, like, the four-point shot you could go, and then they had, like, a higher rim that you could shoot up at that higher rim and get four points or whatever it was. To me, that's what the NBA is kind of becoming. It's like, who can shoot from the furthest away and make it? Uh, like the Harlem Globetrotters. Cool. It's entertaining. And some people like that. That's cool. I, the one thing I do love – some of the games going to 140s and 150s, I think that's crazy great. I love to see scoring basketball. That was that was how I played basketball. All the teams I was on wanted to score a lot of points, except when I played for the Pacers and, and Rick Carlisle's team. We wanted to we were going to grind it out and beat you 79 to 78. Really exciting basketball, <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, but the, you know, the other side of it is people ask me, you know, oh, you wouldn't be able to compete in this type of game. <laughs> You're wrong. And the, and the reason is because there's no defense in this game. Of course I could compete in this game. I didn't shoot three-pointers because I played with some of the best three-point shooters in the history of the NBA. I, that's not because I couldn't shoot them. It was because I was way better at knocking people down and rebounding than, say, Reggie Miller was at the same thing, or Peja Stojakovic, or Ray Allen, or any of the other number of incredible three-point shooters that I played with. I, it, we had a different brand of basketball that people played their role. Now everybody, doesn't matter what size you are, if you can't shoot a three or you don't want to shoot a three, it's like, what are we going to do with them? We, they're a liability. And that's crazy. That's crazy talk because there's a, there's a reason that big guys usually play close to the basket. It's because they're really good at the high percentage shots. That why, why would you have Joe Kitch out shooting threes when that dude can dunk on most everybody in the NBA with his back to the basket? I just don't understand that. It's a waste of his size and talent. Uh, and so – you know, I, to me, that's why I don't watch. It's not because 
it's not exciting. It's just because it's not exciting to me. I don't go to the Harlem Globetrotters every night. I watch them once a year. When they come to town, I go, yep, I want to go see some fun basketball and be entertained. And if you like that kind of entertainment, this type of NBA basketball, I'm not judging it. I don't care. Have fun with that. I don't watch because it's not entertaining to me to watch on a nightly basis the same guy uh, come down and shoot the same shots and nobody's getting rebounds. Nobody plays any defense. It's like watching pickup basketball from when I was in, in college in the summer league. That's, that's summer league basketball when you're working on skills that you don't normally do, which is what I did. Uh, you know, I could bring the ball up the court and, and shoot a three and guys on the, that I was guarding or that were guarding me were like, I didn't know you could do that. I was like, again, for the reasons I stated earlier, I play with the best in the world. I don't do these things because I'm better than them at what I do when I'm playing against the best in the world. Um, the last thing about that, that that does bother me, none of this bothers me. It's your entertainment. Go ahead. You enjoy. But what does bother me is the kids watching. They are doing it. I'm coaching my son's freshman. It's just rec league. It's nothing serious, and I'm not trying to win every game. There's only nine games. We won our first one barely because they started doing dumb things like, oh, I don't know, coming across half court and shooting threes because that's Steph Curry right. or whoever else. Sure. You know, every other name an NBA player. That's the problem I have is because these kids come down and that's all they want to do too. And I'm like, you're not having fun because you're trying to do things that you are physically incapable. You don't shoot 10,000 shots a day. Steph Curry shoots 10,000 shots a day. Right. So that's why he can do what he does. If you want to shoot 10,000 shots, then go ahead, come across half court and shoot it and make it. And I'll cheer the loudest for you. But when you come across half court, you shoot a three from 25 feet. You have no capability of doing it. And you shoot an air ball and everybody goes, Oh, get it next time. That's the part I have a problem with. It's because these kids that don't have the talent, the drive or the discipline to put in the work, to look like that, yep. think, oh, I'll just come across and I'll play a little rec league and I want to do that. So it's harder for me to coach because some of the kids have that mentality. Now, we're, that's my job as a coach, right? I'm not scared. That's what we worked on last night at practice. We worked on getting the ball inside, high percentage shots, man-to-man defense, and, you know, some of the fundamentals because I want to get them away from uh, trying to shoot that shot because it's more fun if we win. It's more fun if everybody contributes as opposed to one guy jacking up threes or two guys jacking up threes and the rest of them that actually realize they can't. And then they're not involved in the offense. They don't want to play if they're not involved at all. So that's the point, the problem I have with it. The only problem I have with the style of basketball that's being played in the NBA right now is players that don't have the talent, discipline, uh, and work ethic to, to put in the work to look like that or to be able to shoot like that, mm. thinking they can do that. And then they try it, and it just becomes garbage basketball. It becomes so unfun to watch college players and high school players and rec league kids try to do all these boneheaded shots because they see it on TV. It's like Dude Perfect. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. They're a YouTube sensation. And my kid watches them. My boys watch them, too. And they look on them, and they're like, you know, they shoot a basketball out of an airplane, and it goes down into it, and it swishes. And they're like, yeah, they made the basket. Like, yeah, they made one. They shot that video 1,000 times and one went in. <laughs> right. you know, that's how I liken these rec league kids coming across half court shoot trees. It's like, dude, this is not dude perfect. Sit your butt down and let's play basketball because it's more fun if everybody contributes. It's more fun if everybody touches the ball. It's more fun yep. if we win. Well, it's also more fun when you have your energy and you're able to go out and coach your kids and live a productive life uh, instead of 
sitting on the couch waiting for your next appointment, hoping that your procedure was going to be successful. Thank God that it was. And uh, I wish you and uh, the Pollard family a fabulous holiday season, buddy. It's always great catching up with you. Thanks, Nathan. Man, I didn't even do interviews like this because I couldn't talk this long all year. So thanks for letting me get all the words out. (laughs) Well, you've never had a problem with getting all the words out. That's never been an issue. So you're telling me that you couldn't, you really, you didn't even have the energy to really do an interview? No, I couldn't. I could. I literally couldn't talk this long. I would run out of breath, and and more than anything, I was in a fog all year. I didn't trust my brain because the the oxygen wasn't getting to my brain. I I would lose track of what I was talking about mid sentence and just forget what I was talking about. Wow. I was really. It, it was really a, a crappy year for me, man. Uh, it, I really just missed a whole lot of twenty one just because my brain wasn't there. And you're right. I was sitting on the couch waiting for my next appointment or procedure or whatever. Uh, and the medication is no joke. It's no fun. I'm looking forward to hopefully getting off of all of it very soon, uh, as soon as the doctors will allow. While I appreciate it and, I, and it kept me alive, man, I cannot wait to get off of all this crap. Well, we wish you the best, man. Again, great catching up with you. Again, we uh, hope to see you soon. You take care of yourself, and thanks very much. It's always great having you on the show. Thanks, Nate. We'll talk to you soon, buddy. Always awesome talking to Scott. Just love it and uh, so happy for him that uh, he appears to be uh, out of the woods and heading in the right direction as it relates to his heart issues. All right, if you want to get on my podcast via a question, it's easy to do. Go to CrowdUltra.com, sign up, and it will take a moment. Martin asks, who's your Heisman Trophy winner? I don't think it's any doubt, right? It's Bryce Young. It's not even going to be close, correct? Bryce Young is your clear-cut Heisman Trophy winner. Uh, Keith asked, will you watch the Winter Olympics in February? That's a fabulous question. I haven't really thought of the Winter Olympics yet with all of the political turmoil going on and what's going on in China. I don't know, Keith. Ask me that question when we get towards January. But it is a really good question. Tristan asked, what's your take on the NBA now not allowing non-vax players to travel between the U.S. and Canada? It's stupid. I don't think the NBA really has anything to do with this. It's the whole damn thing doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make sense to me in any way, shape, or form. I'll tell you that. Michael asked, isn't it laughable? NCAA President Mark Emmert said being a university president is the hardest job in the U.S. It's embarrassing is what it is. Absolutely. It's embarrassing. Sean asked, how concerning is Luca's weight gain? Mm, a little bit. I think what's more concerning is that apparently he does not take good care of himself in the off season. That is a little bit more disconcerting to me. So I don't. I, I'm not. I wouldn't lose sleep over it if I'm a Mavericks fan. I mean, it's December. You really need him going full tilt in April when the playoffs begin. Jeff asked, "Are you surprised the Rangers?" are the highest-valued NHL franchise. I don't think so because of Madison Square Garden that comes along with that. So, no, that does not uh, surprise me. Zach asked, do you agree or disagree with Barkley saying Anthony Davis is the cause of the Lakers' struggles, not Frank Vogel? How's Frank Vogel the issue? Didn't Frank Vogel already win a championship with the Lakers? Now, all of a sudden, it's his fault? I think it's not just Anthony Davis, although they're starting to play a little bit better now. I think it's the whole team in a new mix. Frank Vogel. Frank Vogel's the same coach that won a championship, for crying out loud. So, what was that, two years ago? Come on now. Donovan asks, is it the right time for the Pacers to choose to rebuild and trade their stars? You know, I think so. 
I, I really do. Uh, wouldn't it be surprising to me to see that happen. Will asked, do you think John Calipari is a great coach or gets great teams? No, I don't think he's a great coach. And I've said that very often. I think he gets great teams. As a matter of fact, when you look at the fact that he's only won one, one national championship at Kentucky, and that was with Anthony Davis, I would actually say he has done a poor job coaching. With the talent that he has year in, year out? I mean, come on. No, I don't. I'm not a John Calipari fan. I'm a John Calipari fan in terms of recruiting. But in terms of coaching, no. I think he's overrated. Neil asked, do you think the Blazers franchise could fall apart by the end of the season? Yeah, I guess it could. Uh, They're in a real difficult position right now for, for a variety of issues. You know, front office, the C.J. McCollum, the Damian Lillard trade rumors. Yeah, it could it could spiral out of control. Yes, it could. Absolutely. Nick from New York, would you bench Kemba like Tom Thibodeau did? Yeah, I would. I think he was right for doing it. Absolutely. Matt asked, what do you think of David Letterman saying he would get rid of punts and field goals from at least 50 yards away, that they've got to be from at least 50 yards away? I think David Letterman uh, needs to stay off television. That's what I think. Hey, thanks very much for your questions. CrowdUltra.com. It's time for Grant, Grant, Grant. And today's rant is brought to you by Roy's Umbrella. Roy is awesome. I've done business with him for a number of years. And right now, Roy is giving away a free one-hour consultation if you own a home and are looking to purchase a new home. Roy sees big changes on the horizon as it relates to the housing market. Take advantage of this great opportunity by going to roysumbrella.com. That's roysumbrella.com. You know what drives me freaking crazy? Is our sports networks cutting jobs where the people that really make these networks go, uh, the people that depend on their income, get laid off because these networks overpay for their talent. I mean, you talk about Tony Romo of CBS, and now we're hearing rumors about what Troy Aikman's going to make and what Chris Collinsworth is going to make. And why is it that CBS feels that they need to pay Tony Romo $1 million a game to broadcast. Like, I'm not going to tune in the game if it's not Tony Romo. Like, if it's Charles Davis instead, you think I'm not turning on the game? I mean, how stupid is this? Seriously. So you pay Tony Romo a million dollars a year, and yet now you have to lay off people that are behind the scenes, that work their asses off, and are great workers. Why do you have to pay your talent that kind of money? Troy Aikman thinks he's going to get a million dollars a year, and maybe he will. But why does Fox think they have to pay that kind of money? How stupid is that? A mil- Not a million dollars a year. I meant a million dollars a game. You're paying these guys that much money? Think about that. Tony Romo's getting paid a million dollars a game. For what? For commentating on a football game? Like that's making me turn into the game? Hell no, it's not. It drives me crazy when I see good people getting laid off because of overspending by network executives. It happens all the freaking time. Look at ESPN. Look at all the people they lose because they pay a fortune for their rights fees and then they don't have any money left over to pay their employees. That is awful. And that's my rant for today. Hey, that's my podcast for today. Thank you so much 
Thank you so much to Scott Pollard. Have a great weekend. And thank you so much for listening to If You Don't Like That with Grant Napier. Oh, boy. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.